decent for our learning, isn't it? And even more, going a little bit more specifically than that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as we've been studying the Israelites, there's uh, an admonition there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for us as it relates specifically to those Israelites. 1 Corinthians 10 verse uh, 11 talks about all the murmurings and the lust and so forth that they committed <clears throat> as they were journeying from uh, Exodus, from the Exodus of Egypt to the land of Canaan. And he summarizes this by saying, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, these things happen unto them by way of example. So who is their example for? It's for you and I, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying. Their example is, is for you, for your admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. And that's yet another reason why we go back and study the books of uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's one reason we want to study that, to see how God dealt with people during those times and how they, uh, the examples that they had that were wrong and try to learn from those as well. So before we get into the introduction here, let's look and see where we've been. We studied Genesis a few months ago, and uh, we just finished a study of the book of Exodus. Primarily, I want you to look at this chart and look at the left-hand column here. What is interesting as you look at this, roughly Genesis took about 20, a 2,400-year period. The book of Exodus that we just finished was about an 80-year period. If you think about Moses being born at the beginning of the book and then by the uh, end of the book, as, they, as we come to the end of the book, he's about 80 years old or so. And the book of Leviticus, which we're not going to cover, Leviticus and Numbers, we're not going to cover those at this time. But let's think about the book of Leviticus and think about the previous study that perhaps you've done on the book of Leviticus. What... I'll let you help me summarize that book. Uh, what is the book of Leviticus about? Law. About the law. What else? If you were a priest, would you appreciate having the book of Leviticus? Very much so, wouldn't you? The book of Leviticus can be described as a very bloody book. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes on in that book to describe the sacrifices that the people were, were needing to offer. And I, I think of it sometimes as like a, uh, a handbook for the priest. If you were a priest and you didn't have a copy of the book of Leviticus, you would be in a lot of trouble. And if you didn't pay a lot of attention to that, you might have happened to you what happened in Leviticus chapter 10. Recall what happened in that to, to a couple of priests. They did have an Abihu. They did not pay specific attention to what God had said, and they offered strange fire, and we see they're set forth as an example in Leviticus 10. You find the laws about how to deal with those that are impure with a dead body, laws about leprosy and how to deal with that problem, and they had to deal with that by going, showing themselves to the priest, and 
laws about the days of atonement and so forth. Various laws that a priest would certainly need a copy readily available of the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus here on the left-hand column, you'll notice, took probably about one month for this period of time to be covered in the book of Leviticus. The, the book of Numbers is about a 38-year period, roughly, give or take a little bit. In the book of Numbers, it, it begins with a numbering of the people, and the numbering pertains to what specific group of people? You recall? Numbering of the men of war. These men of war were numbered and because as we're setting out from what Deuteronomy calls Horeb or Sinai, we're setting out from there, we need to account for the men of war. Now you'll notice in the Bible there are times when we're supposed to number the people and we're not supposed to number the people. And we get that indication from God himself. God will tell us when we're supposed to number the people and when we're not. But the book of Numbers, we have the numbering initially, and then as they set out on their journey to the land of Canaan, they, uh, about chapter 10, I believe it is, Numbers chapter 10, they set out on their journey to Canaan. There's some murmuring that takes place. They send out spies into the land of Canaan. And what do these spies report back? What do they say? There's giants in the land, but did God, was God truthful about the land itself? Yes, he was. He was truthful about the land itself. It was just like God described it. But there's, but there's giants there. And what was the people's reaction by and large? We can't, we can't do this. They were fearful. Numbers covers a period of about 38 years. So they go in. We're not really told a lot about the wandering itself. The wandering begins somewhere about chapter 14. And we're not told a lot about that period, really. It's not a great deal that we're told about that. And then as the book goes on, we begin to see they take off and they're ready to go to the land of Canaan. A new generation has come on now. And they march toward Sihon and Og, the Amorite nations, over to the east of Canaan. And uh, they begin conquering that. So Numbers is about 38 years. The book of Deuteronomy is about 70 days or so. And we'll perhaps look at that a little bit more later as we uh, get on into the review here. All right, any other thoughts about Leviticus, Numbers, before we get into Deuteronomy itself? The book of Deuteronomy, as you see here, the title is uh, Deuteronomy, and uh, that is from the words Deutero, or second, and our autonomy from the word law, second giving of the law of Moses. And it's not simply a second giving of the law of Moses, but it is that with exhortation, I like to say. Deuteronomy is, is essentially one long sermon. Uh, if you can imagine a sermon that lasted that long. But this sermon is uh, several chapters in the book of, Levit or book of Deuteronomy, except for the last 
three chapters or so where Moses dies. The author is Moses. The uh, book sets out in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it actually says, Moses spake these words, and at the end in chapter 31, verse 9 and 24, it says he wrote or had these words written down for the people. In John 1, verse 17, and also chapter 7, verse 19, Jesus himself confirms that Moses was the writer of the, the old law, the law of Moses. He, he was the writer himself. So Jesus confirms that himself. The audience is, as we talked about, a new generation, a second generation, and not only them, but by extension, those generations that would follow after, after them, and that would be you and I as well. Time period is roughly 70 days in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3. You'll notice he says there in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, and if you care to look over Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, by the time we actually cross the Jordan River and they uh, are on the other side, Joshua there in chapter 4, verse 19 says it's uh, whatever it is, it's, set, it's about 70 days later from this point in time. Included in that time period is about a rough, about a 30 day period for the people to mourn the passing of Moses. So Moses dies, they have about a 30 year period in which they mourn his passing. The setting, we're on the plains of Moab. This would be, if you picture, we'll show it back in just a moment here, but the plains of Moab are on the eastern edge of the entry into Canaan. The 40 years of wandering are now complete. Moses must die. As we see, Moses is the leader at the beginning of the book. At the end of the book, Joshua is going to be the successor. So Moses must die. Joshua will succeed. And at this point in time, it's a review. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 are roughly uh, a review of the book of Numbers. If you perhaps noticed that as you were studying. And we have a new generation. The style of writing here is... A restating of the law of Moses, but not simply that, but it is with commentary. It is with strong exhortation. Moses gives a lot of strong warnings to the people there based upon their history. So this is the law of Moses with a lot of explanation, a lot of exhortation, a lot of uh, warnings based upon their history. All right. Uh, outline, and you'll see this outline. We'll go through this quickly here. If you've got a uh, set of the lessons there, you'll see this outline, and you can perhaps refer to this uh, occasionally as you're going through the book to see where we are. We're recounting the journey covers chapters 1 through 3. Chapter 4 is a summary of the covenant. He pauses to summarize the covenant, gives some admonition, then he continues on with various laws after that. These various laws in chapter 5 through 26 are restated. A lot, of, a lot of covenant laws are restated there. But again, they're given with a lot of admonition that is combined with that. I call it commentary, exhortation, and warnings. And then verse 20, or chapter 27 through 30, we have the blessings of obedience put against the curses of disobedience. <clears throat> Moses lays everything out and says, okay, if you want to be blessed in the land, you can do these things. If you want your family and your fields and your flocks to be blessed, you can do these things. But if you want to be cursed, 
You can disobey, disregard those things, and there will be, you'll be, be cursed in those areas. Chapter 31 through 34 is Moses' final admonition, and then he uh, goes up to Mount Pisgah and dies there. You don't have to digest this one all at once, but I do want you to get familiar with this chart. We will go over it from time to time, but uh, again, don't try to digest it all at once. The word, it's interesting that the word command or some form of the word command, commands, commandment, or laws or statutes, which all are somewhat synonymous, those words are found 123 times in the book of Deuteronomy. Thus, while we have the idea of the second giving of the law, these laws are emphasized, restated over and over again. The idea of the blessing or the curse, and I'll put along with that the idea of an if-then phrase. Occasionally you read an if-then phrase. If you do this, then you'll be blessed. If you don't, then you suffer the consequences. That is found about 59 times in the book. The ideas of, uh, be of don't be afraid, be of good courage, or fear not, all those would be included in this or found 41 times in the book. The words remember or do not forget, either one, I'll put in the same category. Remember or do not forget is found 22 times in the book. And the idea or the phrase God shall choose and this is presented as God shall choose where you worship and how you worship. That phrase is mentioned 18 times in the book. God shall choose where we worship and how we worship. That particularly comes uh, to bear when we look at the high places that they were told to, uh, to reject and, and get rid of. All right, a map just briefly to see where we are as the Exodus, we go to Exodus 12, which we studied a few weeks ago. This is the first year and first month. We're recounting the journey here. We go southward down to Mount Sinai and then up to uh, their first attempt to go to the land of Canaan is up there sort of around the word Zin. You'll see somewhere in that area. Then they're banished to wander in the wilderness. They wander in the wilderness. This is just someone's uh, idea of what it was. It may not have been this exact course, but this gives us some idea. But they go on to uh, wander in the wilderness here, the circular area perhaps, and then they go up on the eastern side in the 40th year. And there you see the plains of Moab pointed to. That's on the eastern side of the Jordan River. That's where we are. That's where the encampment is at the time where Moses speaks and preaches this lesson. We're on the plains of Moab. And uh, I went ahead and used a chart or a map here that would show us where this is in relation to all the tribes of Israel and how they were laid out at the time. Or be, it would be in the future at this time, but... All right, Deuteronomy chapter 1 through 3. We'll begin our study in chapter 1. And first, let's look at the questions that pertain to chapter 1. <coughs> what does the name Deuteronomy mean? We've already covered that. Uh, hopefully, uh, touched on that enough. When and where did Moses begin to speak to the people? Plains of Moab. 
Actually, if you'll back up, if you've got your Bible open to Numbers chapter 36, Numbers 36, verse 13, these are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded by Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. So what we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 1 is just picking back up where Deuteronomy left off. Next question there, at what point in Israel's history does he begin this recount? The recount in chapter 1 actually starts at what point? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Some of your <clears throat> Bibles will use the word Horeb, and that's the area, the region there where Mount Sinai is located. <clears throat> We know that as, as Mount Sinai. As they were going into the land of Canaan, what were they told not to do? Now, this is the recount. He's going back in history, and it says, what, what, what was it they were told not to do when you go into the land? Don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not fear. See, that we've already seen one of those key words, key thoughts that we talked about just a moment ago. What does Moses say would come of the little ones? They're going to the land. Okay. They're actually going to be the ones that receive the land of Canaan and Arctic. Those were the ones that the people were so worried about, our little ones. What are they going to do? What, how are they going to be protected? And Moses says, well, they actually will receive the land of Canaan. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's look at the text itself and uh, let's review chapter 1 here. Chapter 1, verse 1, these are the words which Moses spake unto all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah over against Suf between Paran, Tophel, and Laban, and Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It's 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now, it's interesting, he puts in verse 2, it's, it, it's 11 days' journey. So if you recall that map we, we looked at a moment ago, it's 11 days' journey from Mount Sinai to Canaan. But how long did it take the Israelites to get there? Quite a while, didn't it? It took a lot more, more than 11 days, and why was that? Was it God's fault? Was it God's fault, was it? It was their fault. Now, verse 3, it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel. 40th year is the 40th year from the time they've left uh, Egypt, according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them, after he had smitten Sihon and Og. In verse 4, beyond the Jordan, and this gives us a setting here where their encampment is in Moab, or at the, in the plains of Moab, verse 5. So verse 5, Moses begins to declare the law, begins his long sermon, begins his preaching to the people of Israel. And he says, verse 6, the Lord spake unto us in Horeb, or Mount Sinai, you've dwelt long enough in this mountain, take your journey, go into the hill country of the Amorites. Now, if you recall here, <clears throat> the Amorites are a people that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, the
the people are told there in the covenant <clears throat> that he gives to Abraham, he says, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. It will come to pass, and it came to pass about 430 years, that the iniquity of the Amorite was full. And that's what we're seeing taking place here. Uh, so these Amorites are the people that are going to be displaced by the Israelites. Verse 8, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land. Verse 8, he says, Go take the land. That's a very strong, a very direct command because we'll, we'll go over this in just a moment here, but for a brief period of time here, verse 9 through 18, we're going to pause for just a moment and consider the review of the leaders. Verse 9, Moses recalls a time when he says, I am not able to bear you myself alone. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. Skip down to verse 13. He says, Take you wise men and understanding and known, and according to your tribes, I will make them heads over you. And this would parallel what we see in Numbers chapter 11, where they chose 70 people to be their leaders. In Numbers 11, that's actually positioned in the middle of a, an episode of great murmuring, where the people murmured for food. You recall they, it was the time where they wanted the onions and the melons and the leeks, and they lusted for meat. Can we have some meat? Later on in the chapter, God gave them quail, more quail than they would ever be able to count. But in sandwiched in that chapter is this event here where Moses chooses out 70 men, 70 elders. And I find that interesting. We're not really told why that Moses inserts that, but I think perhaps it could be that He's reviewing a time period when you were murmuring just to bring that up to them. They would probably recall this, these, those that are older. They would recall that situation and would also recall that Moses chose out 70 men to lead the people. And, uh, but I find it very interesting here that that is, is brought back up here in this chapter without a lot of explanation or elaboration on, on that. But in verse 17, he says, You recall these were given to make judgment. You shall not respect persons in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment of God's, or the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, you shall bring it unto me, and I will hear it. Now we pick back up in verse 19 with that same thought we left off with in verse 8. As we journeyed from Horeb or Mount Sinai, we went through all that is all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw by the way to the hill country of the Amorites. And we go on down and go down in verse 21 again and what do you see? What command do you see once again as we get to verse 21? He picks back up again with this idea, take the land. You were told, take the land. What would be involved in this idea where Moses is saying, take the land? God said, take the land. Did somebody say something? Okay. They have to fight for it. 
You can't just go inspect a waltz in and, and be handed to you on a silver platter, can you? You're going to have to fight for it. God says, take the land, verse 21, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up, take possession, as the Lord thy, the God of thy fathers has spoken to thee. Fear not, again we see that word, that's one of our key words. Fear not, nor be dismayed, don't be afraid. And we see this account in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. They send out spies, as we talked about before. But the spies came back. And two people, Joshua and Caleb, had a good report. The others said, yes, the land is just like God said. It's very fruitful, very fertile, but there's giants there. <clears throat> Notice as he says there, verse 22, you came near to me, every one of you, and said, let us send men. They're, they had an idea, let's search out the land, let's... Search out, have men to go search out so we may study the land, to spy out the land and, and figure out what is there. But then we get to verse 26 and what happens? They rebelled. Why would Moses bring this up to the people of Israel? They're at the edge of Canaan once again. They're in the plains of Moab, perhaps can see over to the other side, the land of Canaan. So why does Moses at this time bring this up? He does not want them to repeat what their fathers had done. 1 Corinthians 10, what was it, verse 11? Their example is written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. You rebelled. Verse 32. Actually, let's just read verse, 30, or verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us and had brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver, deliver us in the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Notice there in verse 27 where... Moses indicates a lot of their murmuring took place. Where did it take place? Verse 27. In their tents. And perhaps it is that some murmuring took place in the assembly of people. But it seems that Moses is emphasizing also that there is a great deal of murmuring that took place in your tents. You people went home, you went to your tents, and you murmured about what's going on in the camp, about what we're being required or asked to do, and you murmured in your tents, and it reminds me of sometimes we can just destroy so much work and so much good that's done when we go to our tents, and we complain, and we criticize, and we murmur just like they did. We go to our tents, we go to our homes, and we murmur and complain. And that's where so much, perhaps we let our guards down and so much more comes from our lips than should, and we begin to murmur and complain and gripe and tear down the work of the church by those actions. 
Well, they said in verse 27, the Lord hated us and he brought us out here to Egypt to, to kill us by the hand of the Amorites. Verse, going down to verse 29, then said I, don't be afraid. So Moses is still, he's recalling that I still tried to convince you not to be afraid. But you would not listen. In verse 32, yet in this thing, ye did not believe the Lord your God. Hebrews 3 verse 19 says much the same thing, doesn't it? Hebrews 3 verse 19 says the people were not able to enter in because of what? Unbelief. They did not believe who and what. They did not believe God's words when he had said, go in and take the land. I have given it to you. And though that first generation of Israelites had already seen enough, as we've talked about in Exodus. They've already seen enough of God's power and glory to believe in order to get into the land of Canaan. They've already seen enough for that belief to occur. Now verse 34, the Lord heard the words, the voice of your words, and was wroth. And he swore, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see the good land which I swear to give unto your fathers. So they're banished, they're cursed to the wilderness. Numbers chapter 14, verse 29 would indicate that these men that are 20 years old and upward would go to the wilderness and there they would die. Their carcasses would be gathered there in the wilderness. Verse 35 says, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see the good land except for Caleb and Joshua. And the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. Verse 37, saying, You shall not go up thither. That actually occurred in Numbers chapter 20, many years later, when Moses did not glorify God in smiting the rock to bring forth water. So Joshua would be able to go in, verse 38. But what about those little ones? You remember they were they had said in Numbers chapter 14, our little ones are going to be vulnerable. They're not going to be able to be protected. Moses brings up here in verse 39, your little ones that you were afraid of that would be lost, they will receive what? They will go in. They are going to go in and possess the land. Isn't that interesting? But as for you, verse 40, as for you, turn you, take your journey into the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. Now, he doesn't really spend much time here either on the wandering in the wilderness. But notice in verse 41 through 46, we have another event that takes place here. (coughs) If you recall from previous study in the book of Numbers, God says, go in and take the land. They don't believe. They're cursed. And then what do the people initially react by doing? Okay, let's go in and try. Let's, let's try. But is it okay? It's too late now, isn't it? And they tried to do so at an area called Homer, or Horma, rather. And they were beaten down as bees in verse 44 there in Horma. You returned, verse 45, wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor gave ear unto you. Sometimes our disbelief 
and God reaps consequences. And they had dire consequences that they had to pay. I want you to think for just a moment about the chapter 1 here as we take a, take a break and just pause and think about chapter 1 here. Think about if you're an Israelite, you're on the banks of the Jordan, and you're getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. Picture yourself as an Israelite, and all of a sudden Moses starts preaching, recounting this history, and so much of it is negative, isn't it? So much of it is what today sometimes we call negative preaching. Moses, why aren't you preaching a positive message? Why don't you preach a positive message? Encourage us. Exhort us. Well, that will be later. <clears throat> we'll see plenty of that later. But sometimes I look at chapter 1, I say right out the bat, right out of the gate, he was telling them, a, preaching a negative lesson to them, a negative sermon. But sometimes we, it is that we need that, and we need to hear that, and we need to our toes stepped on us, stepped on sometimes to motivate us to do what we should do and what we need to do. And Moses certainly <clears throat> saw fit to do so here. Any thoughts uh, on chapter 1? Yes. Although our God is amazingly patient, <laughs> if he wasn't, we'd all be in really deep trouble but this shows what happened to them with the spies and everything. It showed there was a limit to God's patience. There is a limit. Patience and long-suffering will end. Second Peter 3 talks about the long-suffering of God. At some time, that's going to end, isn't it? Any other thoughts? All right, chapter 2. Let's look at the questions on chapter 2 on their journey to Canaan. How were they to treat the children of Esau? Do not contend with them. Leave them alone. What about Moab and Ammon? Same way. Don't contend with them. Leave them alone. So as they journeyed, how were these nations treated? Did they listen? Yes, they listened. They did just like they were told to do. They did just as they were commanded. Uh, but what about the Amorites? Annihilate them. Is that word, word you annihilate them, destroy these people? And we'll see that it's included women and children as well. State their conquest so far by the given borders. This, this, was, uh, this is probably a little bit difficult in the last few verses of that chapter. Uh, <clears throat> you might look at this briefly. Some of this is outlined by the river, the Arnon River. And later, Reuben and Gad and Manasseh would take this area that you see here to the east of the Jordan. It's outlined also by the Jabbok River. And uh, those are mentioned here. And I uh, just thought I'd put it there with what we know to be as the settlement in the land of Canaan here, what came to be Reuben and Gad and half a tribe Manasseh on the eastern side. So that's the answer that I was looking for. Briefly, well, while we're here this is when you see in chapter 2 Sihon, uh, he's an Amorite king. Og is also an Amorite king, the king of Bashan. Uh, sometimes you'll hear the prophets say the cows of Bashan. 
this is the area, the area, very fertile area here in the northern part of that, uh, where Og, the king of Bashan, dwelt. Okay, chapter 2. From the wilderness, now we go from the wilderness to the edge of Canaan once again. We're not told much about the wandering. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the Red Sea as the Lord commanded, or as the Lord spake. We compassed Mount Seir. Mount Seir is in Edom. And the Lord spake to me, saying, You've dwelt here long enough. Get your way. Make your way up to the land of Canaan once again. And as we follow the reading there, verse 4 through 8 is uh, where he talks about Edom. Don't contend with them because we, we answered that question, but why was it they were not to contend with these groups of people? God had given them that land. Edomites are descended from Esau, which is a very close kinship to Israel, as well as Moab in verse 9 were descendants of Lot. Moab and Ammon in verse 19 were descendants of Lot. So we see uh, that they were not to be contended with. God had given them this land. And I want you to hold that thought for just a moment. We'll talk about that for just a moment here as we end the study tonight. Verse 9, Moab, don't contend with them in battle, for I will not give thee of his land a possession, for I have given R unto the children of Lot for a possession. Now skip on down to verse 14, Deuteronomy 2, verse 14. The days in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over to the brook Zered, were thirty and eight years until all the generation of the men of war were consumed from the midst of the camp. Moreover, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. Now we go on down to verse 19 where we see the children of Ammon mentioned. Again, we see repeated, don't contend with them, leave them alone, leave them alone. If you want to... uh, get food and water from them, your sustenance that you want to trade with them, that's fine, but you be peaceful unto them and leave them alone. Now verse, uh, well, well, we'll cover this now, and uh, we'll talk about Sihon in just a moment. So we see Edom, Moab, and Ammon. He says, contend not with them. These are the what sometimes we call the Transjordan tribes or the Eastern tribes that would take the place here, when they remove Sihon and Og, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh <clears throat> look at this and go, well, you know, we would be really well suited if we could have this land and have our cattle be in this land. And so that is okay with God, and he, he allows them to do so. But I want you to think as we look back, stand back here and pause just a minute and look at the way Moses describes Edom and Moab and Ammon. Notice as we've already said that he says, don't contend with them. God gave them this land. But I want to notice something else as he says here in Deuteronomy 2 verse 10 regarding Moab. The Emim dwelt there aforetime, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. These also are accounted as Rephaim, as the Anakim, but the Moabites call them Emim. Now go on to verse 20 where he talks about Ammon. 
Moses says, they are in a land that God gave them, and in that land before them there was also those that were of the Rephaim. The Rephaim dwelt there aforetime, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim. A people great, many, tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead. Why do you think Moses would bring this up? We are going to pass by the Edomites who are in a land that had giants. The Edomites took that land like they were told to. We're going to pass by Moab and Ammon. And those people were also in a land that they were given by God that was formerly occupied by giants. Now, how does this translate to the Israelites? Exactly. Do you think Moses is trying to whittle away at those excuses? And sometimes we call this uh, take care of the objections uh, before they occur. Let's take care of those objections before they occur. Maybe that's what Moses is doing here. They had a land here that they took because God put them there. And you may not have realized this, but there were giants in that land. There were giants in the land of Moab and Ammon. There's also giants in the land that you're going to take, but you're the chosen people of God. Don't you think God would even be more willing to displace them for your sake? Yes, I think he would. I think that's perhaps a lesson that Moses is trying to teach them there. In verse 24, he begins uh, the uh, talking about Sihon, and we'll just look here uh, at the chart here to finish this out. We've got another maybe a minute. As we occupy the Transjordan tribes here, the eastern tribes, we first we have to take care of Sihon, and he's mentioned in chapter 2, verse 24 through 37. They send out an uh, embassy to uh, uh, verse 30 to Sihon. They say, uh, we would like to go through here peacefully. And uh, what did Sihon choose to do? Fight. He chose to fight. Verse 30, Sihon would not let us pass by him, for the Lord thy God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into, the, into thy hand as at this day. Now, Moses is recalling this. This has already taken place. But he's recalling these victories, if you will, to them. You're in the plains of Moab. You've already received victories. Also think about Edom. They displaced the giants. Moab did. Ammon did. Look what God has done for you with Sihon and Og already. So you see, we're taking care of that problem that existed previously that they had the fear of the giants in the land. We're, Moses is tearing that objection down piece by piece until it is no more. Any thoughts on chapter 2? Yes. We've got to... Mm-hmm. God, completely God's power. 
completely God's power. We just simply have to be obedient, faithful, and faithful and trusting obedience, don't we? That we can conquer those giants as well today. Okay. Thank you for the class. I appreciate your attention.